This is Me, Myself and Disaster, the show all about disasters with a human focus. From hurricanes to humanitarian issues, we journey across fault lines to explore trends in disaster preparedness, response and recovery and understand how our guests became involved in disasters. Over to you, Disaster Brothers, Josh and Andrew. Welcome back for another episode of Me, Myself and Disaster, the show where we talk all things disasters with a human focus. Last week we had Amanda Lamont talking about recovery, the recent bushfires and her journey in disasters. It was such an engaging conversation that we now have part two, where we look at women in emergencies and the involvement of Amanda in starting the Australasian Women in Emergencies Network. Let's dive in. So welcome back, Amanda. We spoke a lot last time about recovery in communities and responding to disasters and your experience. It was a really fascinating discussion. And we're today continuing that um, to talk around um, what you're doing with the Australasian Women in Emergencies Network. Can you tell us more about the network and why it was established to start off? Yeah, it was actually um, a colleague of mine. We went to an International Women's Day breakfast in Melbourne in 2018. And, um, and she sidled up to me at breakfast and said, I'm thinking of starting this network for women who work in um, emergency management and emergency services. And I said, that's a great idea. Count me in, let me know how I can help. Um, and another colleague of mine um, um, said she would help as well. And within a week, we were sitting around a coffee table uh, coffee, in a coffee shop in Melbourne. And um, we thought, well, let's ask a few other people and see if they think it's a good idea. Um, they did. We were um, inundated with responses from people we knew around Australia and New Zealand um, to say that they there was there was really nothing in that space and it was a great idea. So we formed um, the Australian Women in Emergencies Network, and we decided that this network was not just about women who work or volunteer in an emergency management context, but actually to celebrate and support and promote the role that women play generally in emergencies. So what we, were, what we were thinking is it's not just women who put on a uniform and work in a response phase at the end of a fire hose or sandbagging or tarping roofs or chainsawing. This is, this is to celebrate and recognise um, women more broadly in the context of their role in the community in preparing for disasters and responding to disasters and recovering from disasters. And so we wanted to make sure that women who didn't put on a uniform felt included and supported because the role that they play is critical as well in that broader resilience context. So we do talk a lot about disaster resilience as being the overarching element of, of all the different phases of emergencies. And so it is, um, it's not about, <laughs> I, I get asked a lot, um, what is it that women do better than men in disasters? or uh, instead of men. And I say, you're missing the point. And I, um, I started talking about just hashtag us too. It's not what we do different or better. It's just to say women do this stuff too. And we do bring different skills. Um, it's not about better or worse, it's different. So ultimately it's about diversity. It's about diversity of opinions. It's about diversity in leadership. It's about diversity of approaches and experiences. Um, a man can't experience life as a woman um so women can bring a perspective and an experience and a lens 
to a situation that a man can't necessarily, and I'm saying it's not better or worse, it's just different. And so looking at all the differences that bring into the conversation just makes, as we know this now, the evidence is absolutely clear that we wanna have a broad range of um, experiences and knowledge and understanding and perspectives in decisions around disasters, which are inherently around our communities, social fabric of our community, because disasters disrupt our communities. And it's communities that, that, that come back together after disasters. That's what we're looking at rebuilding, rebuilding that social capital that we have. And there's no point having just one part of society involved in those conversations. So it really was to celebrate and promote the role of women, to encourage women about the role that they do play, that they don't often realise they're playing in disasters. Um, and look, it's been really successful. Now, within we were talking about how we might celebrate 100 members. Um, well, we very quickly had 500 before we knew it, we had 1,000. So we have, and we extend, extended to New Zealand um, because very quickly um, our sisters across the ditch um, said that they wanted to be on board and they've been really proactive and, and really supportive members of our network as well. We have chapter leads in each state and territory and in New Zealand. Um, we have an events program, we have a mentoring program, um, we have um, some scholarships that have been um, donated to the network to provide to women who are building their career in emergency management. Um, and we have this really informal network of women that come together and chat. And how I describe it is in an emergency, there's a lot of different stakeholders that have a role to play in emergencies and we want them all to sit around the table and plan together. And so the network represents that because we have women who work in telecommunications, in um, state government, Department of Transport. We have nurses and doctors, health workers, um, politicians, academics, researchers, students. So we have actually recreated that stakeholder group for disasters in the network. And I have been to casual breakfasts where a bunch of women who have never met have sat down together and talked about what they do. And all of a sudden, the woman that was working in a, in a lights and sirens um, emergency response role had so much in common with the woman that was working at the Department of Transport that they were doing a very similar job, but they never would have imagined that. So all of a sudden you get to share ideas, you, you get to see how things can be developed together. And you've heard me talk before about social capital. So if, if these departments, organisations and women and people can get to know each other and build trust in confidence in themselves before a disaster, it's the perfect preparedness. So then in the rush and excitement and adrenaline and stress of a disaster, if you've already established a relationship with some of those key stakeholders, you're gonna to work together much better in that, in that phase and then going through into the recovery context. So it's inherently about building a network of women who can work together and get to know each other, share with each other and support each other. And ultimately what we wanna do is we wanna be a voice into the broader conversation around the role that women have in disasters and say, um, women should be sitting at the table. We need to see more women in leadership. There has been just a, a real gap in the women that we've seen that have been in those leadership roles um, in the last six months and over, over summer. Uh, we want to have women in those roles because of the value that they're bringing. And, and that's, that's what the network's about. It's really good. And I think um, we've seen ourselves, Josh and I, the diversity of thought and the value of diversity in an operation or an emergency, just to understand the different perspectives of people because disasters affect so many different people. Um, and in a community, when you're evacuating people as a result of a flood or a fire, the different needs of those people, it's good to have um, diversity in that operation that people understand and can empathise with those who've been affected and can make decisions on their behalf or can at least help them um, when when they need it. So, but most 
most emergencies that we've both been involved in have really been generally led by a man and generally someone who's later in their career, very experienced but older. What do you see as the key strengths in a female perspective in the disaster landscape? Gee, I don't know because we haven't really had it there, so we haven't seen yet. <laughs> Look, I'll tell you what's really bugged me over the um, the bushfires, the 2019-20 bushfires. Recovery, resilience and often preparedness, it's seen as the soft part of emergencies. And you often find that there are more women working in disaster recovery than there are men. And you see, and it's portrayed in the media, you usually see men sandbagging and um, using a chainsaw in a storm, tarping roofs and fighting fires. It's really annoying because, I don't know, both strike teams that I was on over summer, I was 50-50 in the truck, 50-50 women and men. So mm. we see women portrayed in roles in recovery, the softest stuff, it's the caring and the nurturing people and men doing the hard stuff. Yet, when we had all of the senior roles over summer in the recovery context, they were all men. And I was really annoyed because it's women that are doing their hard yards, the women that are doing this role um, all the time, in and out of disasters, yet when they appointed people to those senior recovery roles in New South Wales and Victoria, and I don't know so much about the other states, but quite possibly, and certainly at a national level, they put men in those roles. I'm really disappointed because I thought we had come further than that in the roles that women had, um, particularly in that recovery context but we still didn't value women enough to put them in the roles. Now, yes, somebody will say, well, we just didn't have women with the experience and, and calibre and capacity and capability. Um, I, call, I call something on that. I don't, I'm not buying into it. I think we've got to try harder. And if you didn't, look, if we didn't find women to fill those roles, we didn't look hard enough because I certainly know they are there. And look, I'm not saying, I know the men that are doing those roles and some of them I know very well and have worked alongside them and they are fantastic, fabulous leaders, fabulous community engagement professionals and experts and really great uh, people to be around and, and um, promote others. And they would certainly be supporting women that they're working with, but we, we don't have, we're not profiling women if they're not sitting in that role and we have to try harder. And I think, so this probably leads really well into my next question, and it's it's a simple question, but I but I reckon we're going to have quite a complex answer in this, and some people may be going, oh, hold on, there's two males driving this conversation here, but I really think, and I, and I know Andrew and I both think this, is that everyone has a part to play in this space. We all have a part to be able to change this situation, to be able to change this culture. So for our listeners out there who may be saying, you know, there may be young females saying, how do we get in? Um, one, how do we get into this space? Or it may be leaders listening to this podcast around, well, how do I increase diversity in my workplace? How do I bring people in and not just pay lip service? So do you have some practical steps or some practical um, thoughts around how we could actually achieve that? Or what do we need to be doing in this space better? Look, you've heard of the expression, um, you can't be what you can't see. So actually having strong um, stories, imagery and representation of women in all roles, not just the leadership roles, but all roles in a disaster context and showing that to young women and young children to show that women do these roles too. Um, they're firefighters, not firemen. They're police officers, not policemen. You know, this language that we still use really guides that conversation. 
So, so young women just don't see that as a role or as a career for them because they're so used to seeing men do it. It is changing, but it's not changing fast enough. And I still think that the media are not portraying the reality as much. I made a comment, there was a post by the CFA over summer, it was the tennis, and they had a tribute to the um, emergency services at the start of the match, and they had six CFA firefighters lined up um, to, to sort of on the centre court at the start of the ceremony. And I wrote to the CEO, to the, sorry, Chief Officer of the CFA, and I said, I'm really disappointed that you just showed men and then I got this, oh, we had women in other things doing other things. And I said, I don't care. That was the picture on the front page of the paper and it showed men. And that is not the reality over summer in so many different ways. And so we really, we have to be, we have to sort of be proactive and make a real effort to show women doing these roles. And so there are, so I think that it's what we see and what we get used to seeing to normalise seeing women in all of those roles. The other thing is, and there are some organisations that are doing it at the moment, and I've just recently promoted one of them on LinkedIn. Every time they advertise for a position in a senior leadership role, they include their gender diversity and inclusion statement and their proactive recruitment of women in leadership roles in their organisation in the ad. So that is a really, um, that is a really easy way. If the organisation is serious about its recruitment policies and strategies, then they should be upfront about it. And they say that the opening line is this organisation values inclusion and diversity in its recruitment and it's in senior leadership and women are encouraged to apply for this role. So that is a really tangible way organisations can really walk the talk, um, put the money on the table and actually disclose that they are understand the value that women bring in having in these roles and then promote, uh, um, promote that and, and recruit for that to be, to be really proactive. And there's also 50-50 um, rules around conferences, you've seen that as well. But a lot of organisations will not have somebody sit on the stage unless there is 50-50 representation. Um, and this is a really binary conversation around men and women. And obviously it's not as simple as just men and women mm. as well. But it's just around um, organisations making the commitment. The male champions of change is an example. They have signed the pledge of gender diversity and panels um, to have equal representation of men and women and to stick by it. And I've, had, I've heard them, your organisation, will say the same. If you don't have 50-50 on stage, I won't speak. And so these are the really hard decisions that we need to be making. And you know what I hear? Oh, we just don't have women that know enough to talk about that. Again, I'm calling that. I am calling that. Try harder. Talk about something. If you don't have women that are, that are experienced enough in that, perhaps we're having the wrong conversation. So it's a, it's a real commitment. It's not paying lip service to it. And there's a lot of organisations that are really having a crack and others that just talk about it. So I think, and I think that's really interesting around what organisations and and for yourself, you've had an amazing career, a really interesting career um, in disasters. So we've been talking about organisations and what they can do. But if you were talking to your younger self, and you know, for our listeners out there that may be younger females, going, you know, how do I get a start in this industry, or how do I make my mark? What advice would you give to them, or what advice would have you given to yourself when when you were younger and you were just emerging into this space? Oh, look, I'm going to pinch something from a really good friend of mine, and, and she told me that she was speaking to um, she was speaking to a group of high school students, and it was a career sort of advice session. And she told them, "Don't don't ask yourself what do I want to do. Ask yourself what problem do I want to solve." 
And you know, that's not my saying, that's hers. And I absolutely love it. So to start with, why do you want to work in this space? What problem do you want to solve? You know, what do you want to be a part of? What's your legacy? And that can really dictate the, the type of emergency management role you might want to be in or what role you want to play in emergencies. Um, so if you want to be up front and on the front line and um, in the face of a, a wild storm or a raging bushfire, there's obviously those roles. But it can be volunteer roles as well. Um, but it's really about what elements really drive me. What's my passion? Is it at a community level? Is it a policy and strategy level? Um, so I would be really mindful and say to myself, where do, I, where do I enjoy it the most? But actually in terms of my career, what's been fantastic is I started in a, in a segment of disasters which was around recovery at a state level. And then I moved into an all of emergency management um, local government level, so, so an even smaller remit. And then I moved into a national role. And so what I really liked is the fact that I can bring what I've learned at a really local level um, grassroots on the, on the, on the, in the coal face and bring that up into a conversation around national policy and strategy. So I can feed into our collective national knowledge about what's good about, about disasters and emergency management and building resilience. I get to influence that national conversation. That's certainly what I wanted to do. So, but I, I could only do that because I had the local level experience. And interestingly, in the last couple of months, I've taken all of that national strategy and policy learning that I had, and I have fed that back into a really local level planning space to see what work, what works and what doesn't. Now what I wanna do is feed, feed that back up to the national to see it as a cycle. So my younger self, where do you wanna play in the cycle? Do I wanna play at the local level? Do I wanna work there really closely with communities and involved in that community engagement, community building space? Or do I wanna sit around the table and really guide national policy and strategy and draw on, say you talked about the Sendai framework previously when we've chatted, you know, disaster risk reduction, um, the United Nations Office of Disaster Risk Reduction is really active in a global context. Australia is seen as leading uh, in its disaster approach. Um, you know, we have our national framework for disaster resilience that we've implemented recently, and a lot of other countries look to Australia to provide some guidance on this. So, so your career might have a more of an international focus as well. So it's about, you know, understanding how the framework works in Australia and where you might want to fit into it. But my advice would be to um, try lots of different spaces, work at a local level, local knowledge about how communities operate and work and the disaster um, overlay in that context is important. But then, you know, I just, I just found it really fascinating. I felt like I knew so much that I wanted to share that knowledge at a broader level. Uh, and that's what that's what led me down the path of working at that national and international level. And, and as I said to you previously, I've got experience in international community development. There's so much that I learned in that international context that I've been able to bring into the local context. So, so the international humanitarian aid and, and local emergency management, they go together. There's careers in both of those and you can you can use your skills in both of those. The, the industry is so diverse and there are so many opportunities, I think, in emergencies and disasters to really get involved. It seems like there's just there's endless opportunities to really um, build stronger and safer communities in this sector at the moment, which is quite exciting. I was going to ask you, if people are listening now and have liked the sound of the Australasian Women in Emergencies Network, how can they get involved? And a question for us, how do, can men join? Can the Disaster Brothers join this group? Disaster Brothers, come on board. So a couple of, thing, a couple of things about that. Uh, I'll, say the, I'll say this twice. One, www.ornetwork.org.au, uh, www and I'll say it at the end, that's how you find out more about the network. Now, men, 
we, um, we hadn't thought about that at the early days of the Australasian Women in Emergencies Network about men joining. We had just been really blinkered about women. But what happened in the early days is so many men jumped on board wanting to help us, promoting it, sending it out to colleagues. We've got um, our yellow badges you've probably seen. I, so many men asked for them and, you know, they wore them. I was at the, um, the United Nations Disaster Risk Reduction Global Forum last year and I had some badges with me. And um, men came up and, and wore them the whole conference. It was fantastic. They really see themselves as part of the Australasian Women in Emergencies Network. So, yes, very quickly we decided men can be members and should be members. Because I think, you know, I did read somewhere that one of the biggest mistakes of the feminist movement was to exclude men from the conversation. So I've been, a, a, you know, a huge advocate for work, walking alongside our brothers and having um, men support what we're doing because the men that know what they're doing, I hope you two are part of that category, realise that your job um, is going to be all the better for walking alongside and working with women as well, like us. So absolutely men can join the network. Um, and by joining the um, Australasian Women in Emergencies Network, um, people will access have access to... Um, a lot of inf interesting information, insights about what's going on and going back to that jobs and professional development. Um, I mentioned the mentoring program. Um, people, the conversation, I'm a mentor of, of a fabulous young woman at the moment and I'm really enjoying talking to her about her career and what she wants to do and how she can tap into the sector um, and, and what jobs to look for and what training and education experience that she should be doing. So that's absolutely the conversations that we have in the network to support the growth of that new generation of female leaders in emergency management. Hmm. Excellent. That's, um, there's so many opportunities to get involved, I mentioned, and, um, and I think this one sounds like one of them will have to get online and, and sign up later today, I think, Josh. It's um, it'd be great chatting, Amanda, and um, we really appreciate your time for joining us today on the show. And uh, we'll pop our some links to the, the the network up on our blog at disasterbros.com. You can check that out for our listeners online today. And uh, we look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks so much for joining us, Amanda. Yeah, great chatting with you. Good luck. Andrew, what an interesting conversation around a subject that a lot of people in, in emergencies and disasters often shy away from. Absolutely, Josh. It's just really interesting to understand that diversity of thought and how important it is when managing a disaster. That's all we've got time for today. We've got some really exciting guests from across the globe that we will be bringing to you over the next couple of weeks. Stay safe and we'll catch you then. Thanks for listening to Me, Myself and Disaster. Subscribe today at memyselfdisaster.com. Learn more about disasters and follow our blog at disasterbros.com.